From COK Studios in Bob Garfield's garage, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. On today's show, we're going to take a retrospective look back at some of the stories and segments we've done about our 45th president, Donald J. Trump. Consider this the best, actually no, the worst of Trump. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from PBN, now showing the new masterpiece series from the producers of Victoria, Prince Albert in a Can, starring Ben Wishaw. Episode 1, Better Let Him Out, airs this Saturday. Check local listings for showtimes. And the Ivanka Trump Collection. Fine women's wear and accessories not for sale at Nordstrom and anywhere else Donald Trump products are not sold. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. White House advisor Stephen Miller doubled down on the Trump administration's continued groundless claims of voter fraud during an interview on ABC's This Week on Sunday. Last week, President Trump claimed, with no evidence, that voters from Massachusetts were bused to New Hampshire to vote illegally. It is just one more in a long series of falsehoods from Trump and his team that seek to explain how they lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton by over three million votes. Miller claimed in his Sunday interview that the White House has provided enormous evidence of voter fraud, but COK News and other sources can confirm that the White House has not provided enormous evidence of massive nationwide voter fraud. Our gossip correspondent and popular teenage girl, Melissa Reynolds, went to New Hampshire to investigate the likelihood of this alleged voter fraud. Here is what she found. President Trump's senior advisor, Stephen Miller, claimed on ABC this weekend that there was lots of voter fraud going on when people were bused into New Hampshire to vote. The New Hampshire Secretary of State has said that there is no proof of buses appearing at polling places and that a bunch of voters arriving like that would have attracted lots of attention and junk. I see no evidence that anyone was bused into our state to vote to sway the election. Plus, the large margin of victory where Hillary Clinton won were in other states. Pete Stevenson is a poll worker who has never seen one instance of voter fraud in like 30 years of working elections. Honestly, voter fraud doesn't happen. New Hampshire requires voters to either show valid ID or have their photo taken and sign an affidavit swearing to their identity. It's uh, it's pretty airtight. Oh, frailsies? Oh, yeah. The closest thing I ever saw to fraud this year was when this sloppy guy got syrup from his McGriddle on the voting machine. It was all sticky, so we had to switch it out with another machine. Another guy that same day gummed up the machine with barbecue sauce from his McRib. There's a McDonald's next door. Oh, God. McRib? Gross. Other than some grody guys who can't eat without spilling, there's nothing wrong with voting in New Hampshire. I spoke with some guy in the Trump administration because I had to be all objective and whatever, but he was totes lame. Voter fraud is everywhere. Dead people, old people, people from other states, the walking dead, stranger things, close encounters. It's all contributing to the fraud that cost Mr. Trump the popular vote. (sighs) Vance Blumpkin is totes wrong about the voter fraud, but he won't shut up about it. 
Mr. Blumpkin, all there was was a couple of guys that spilled their fast food on some voting machines. Oh, I know. They make rib sauce in the machines and the syrup and Arby's sauce and honey mustard and horsey sauce and that weird Chinese ketchup that hipsters like totally swung at least 500,000 votes to Hillary Clinton. It's a travesty that needs to stop. Make America sauce free again. That's only 500,000 votes. What about the other, you know, two and a half million? Sasquatch. Oh, God, whatever. From New Hampshire, where there's nothing to do and no sign of voter fraud, I'm Melissa Reynolds. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. Last week was a tumultuous one for the Trump administration, as the president ordered an airstrike on Syria and welcomed Chinese President Xi Jinping for what can only be described as a very tense summit at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida. The strike in Syria and the summit with China underscored some of the conflicting viewpoints within the Trump administration. The attack on Syria does not necessarily square with Trump's America First policy and creates more tension among the members of the president's senior team who are jockeying for influence. Seemingly losing the battle for power are white nationalism advisor Steve Bannon and chief of staff Rens Priebus, who have been admonished by Trump over a series of dust-ups with Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, and senior advisor. I investigated what many are calling a civil war within the Trump administration. By the spring of 2017, President Donald Trump has gotten fed up with the growing tension among his inner circle. Competing ideologies are threatening to break up his fragile union. The civil war in Syria is nothing compared to the battle being waged within the White House. In the president's good graces are his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and economic advisor, Gary Cohn, while Stephen K. Bannon, the tempestuous chief strategist, and Rents Priebus, the mild-mannered chief of staff, seem to be on the outs. Writing home to his mother from his outpost at Mar-a-Lago, Kushner described the growing unrest. Dearest mother, things are getting worse here all the time. It seems as if there will be no easy reconciliation before the summer. I fear that self-inflicted wounds by our friend Mr. Bannon will doom us to ultimate failure in the long run. I worry that the President will not have the strength to do what needs to be done, but I still have hope. The day may come when I must take up arms against the other faction, but I only do so out of duty and without joy. I hope this letter finds you well. Tell Father I am sorry about the Chinese pulling out of the building deal. I look forward to seeing you in Aspen in a fortnight. All my love to you, your son, Jared. P.S. Iraq was fun. Super dry and sandy, though. The president has considered a range of options, including a shift in role for Mr. Bannon, who has become increasingly isolated in the White House as other power centers have grown. Isolating Bannon could prove to be a wise strategy, but it could also be dangerous, for Bannon is a man who has a reputation for fighting dirty when his back is against the wall. The former Breitbart chair has not been taking the exile of he and his followers well. We call ourselves the Fight Club. You don't come to us for warm and fuzzy. We think of ourselves as virulently anti-establishment, particularly anti the permanent political class. We say Paul Ryan was grown in a petri dish at the Heritage Foundation. We hire people who are freaks. They don't have social lives. 
They're junkies about news and information. Stephen K. Bannon This civil war is being fought in many places, from the breezeways of Mar-a-Lago to the boardrooms of Trump Tower, from the empty offices of the West Wing to the even emptier offices of the State Department. Loyalties will be tested, and men's careers may die because of it. Resumes scattered like tombstones across the landscapes of the halls of government. Father, I beg you, stop this madness. Rents and Stephen are creating chaos from which there may be no return. Please intervene. The war is too costly. It's harming the Trump brand. We cannot allow these men who are not our kin to destroy what we have inherited from our forefathers. Nobody is buying my shoes and handbags now. Let Jared do more. He went to Harvard and NYU. He can fix the problems in the Middle East and Mexico and with the government. I believe in him, and I know you do too. Give him things to do and let him lead your team to victory after victory. Your loving daughter, Ivanka. Letters and tweets like this have become commonplace as President Trump's family have entered the battle to save the administration from itself. In the White House blame game, no one is safe. Mr. Bannon's team is blamed for the contested and controversial travel bans. Mr. Priebus was damaged by the failure of health care legislation. Even Mr. Kushner has yet to show he can master his own portfolio, and his role is so large that miscues will be magnified. What will be the outcome? We are scattered, stunned. The remnant of heart left alive in us is filled with brotherly hate. Whose fault? Everybody blamed by somebody else. Only the fired employees left stiff and stark on the battlefield escape. Hashtag sad. Ivanka Trump. Can the Trump administration emancipate itself and forge a new beginning free of conflict? Will the fractured sides form anew? Or will someone, a friend, former supporter, or brother hear the immortal words? You're fired. For COK News, I'm Cordell Notbrock. Nearly every weekend since his inauguration, President Trump has flown from Washington to one of his homes outside the Capitol. Most often, he's stayed at his private Mar-a-Lago club in Florida, but has also spent time at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. All this extra travel by the president means a lot of work for the United States Secret Service. The difficulties for the Secret Service are further compounded by Trump's wife and young son, Barron, who are still not living in the White House, as well as Trump's globe-trotting adult children, who all require a Secret Service detail. Due to budget caps, the Secret Service is currently operating at lower numbers than they have in modern times. That, combined with the travel schedule and the need to secure multiple locations, puts a manpower strain on the Secret Service week after week. Lawmakers are attempting to give the agency more support to cope with the strain. But what about the agents themselves? I spoke to two current Secret Service agents who talked with us on the condition of anonymity. There are now some 3,200 special agents and another 1,300 uniformed officers in the Secret Service. But that number is hardly enough to keep up with the demands of the Trump administration. We're the best line of defense, and it's an honor to serve the president 
and our nation. Absolutely. We are proud of our jobs. The agents we interviewed seemed reluctant to get into any specifics about guarding the Trump family, or if they were under any increased strain since Trump took office. It's all very routine, ma'am. We're doing our best to keep the president and his family safe. So there's nothing atypical about this administration? Not at all. We're used to it. What all do you do? Uh, We do anything and everything that the president requires. Yes, but what does that include? Securing buildings, establishing perimeters, keeping potential threats at arm's length. So there's no additional strains being placed on your agents? No, ma'am. None at all. Well, um... What? Well, you know, I mean... Don't do this, Daryl. I I just can't keep it bottled up anymore, Bruce. Guarding the Trumps is awful. I want to quit. He's right. It sucks. I have ulcers from the stress. Really? Tell me more. We're working like 20-hour days. It's brutal. If I'm not guarding the president at the White House, I'm at Mar-a-Lago caddying for the president when he golfs. You caddy for him? Oh, yeah. And he cheats. All the time. It's terrible. And then I have to guard him while he eats his lunch on the toilet. Wait, the toilet? Yeah, he eats like a bucket and a half of KFC while he tweets and defecates. The sounds that come out of there are frightening. It's worse than anything I experienced in my three tours in Iraq. The horror. The horror. That's nothing. I have to guard Melania and Baron at the Trump Tower. Ooh, what's that like? It's like The Shining or The Omen or some shit. Baron is mean. He does things to me and the other agents when Melania isn't looking. Someone poured what turned out to be pig's blood on me and another agent while we were waiting to take Baron to school. He says he didn't do it, and that it was a member of the fake news media, but I know it was him. He gave me a note the other day that just said, Soon. I'm scared, man. He talks to me inside my head without saying anything. That does sound like a very hard time for the Secret Service. It's impossible! And I always wanted to be like the guys on Mission Impossible, but this is way worse than anything they had to do. Oh, totally. Tom Cruise never had to go into a bathroom that was just destroyed by Donald Trump. Or have nightmares about Baron riding his tricycle around Trump Tower with creepy twin girls. Hopefully Congress can get some relief for the overworked Secret Service agents who are clearly getting PTSD from protecting the first family. For COK News, I'm Dinah Jones-Mallon. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. On Sunday, President Trump insisted on Twitter that he is a very stable genius following the recent publication of a book that raises questions about his mental state and fitness for office. The book by Michael Wolff is Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House. Questions surrounding Trump's temperament intensified this week after excerpts from Fire and Fury detailed chaos inside the White House and portrayed Trump as inept and utterly unprepared for his role as president of the most powerful nation in the world. While most Americans were like, duh, the book does offer some new insights into the inner workings of the Trump team. Fire and Fury is currently topping the bestseller lists and creating a huge buzz. Here to discuss the book is our resident librarian, Lynn Ruffle. Thanks for being here, Lynn. Hi, Connor and Cordell. Lynn, you read the book. What did you make of it? Well, I must say that I found it to be much less dry than the brand of nonfiction I usually read. It read more like a tabloid or an epic fantasy saga than an expose of life inside the White House. 
with that much drama, I half expected some vampires or a troll or an evil witch to factor into the plot. The title is Fire and Fury. Where are the dragons? I have heard it. It's very dramatic. And how? So much sticky gossip and intrigue. Now that I think about it, there was a troll in the book. Oh, uh, Steve Bannon. Uh-huh. And an evil witch. Uh, Kellyanne Conway. Uh-huh. I honestly pictured this book set in my favorite fantasy universe, and it made it much less scary and more enjoyable. It frightened me too much to think that the people in charge of our country didn't even want to win the election and don't have any clue what's actually going on. So I just pretended it was all a part of the Bosoms and Broadswords series by Paul H.H.H. Curtis. It sounds like a good way to read it. Uh Uh-huh. I only had five panic attacks while I read it, and that was before I decided to pretend it was a fantasy book about an inept king who ruins everything in his path. I felt bad for the little gnome who the king made so much fun of. Uh, Jeff Sessions? Uh Uh-huh. I give it an A- for drama, a B-plus for exposing the truths of the Trump White House, and a D-minus for being the waking nightmare of our lives right now. Oh, thanks, Lynn. You're welcome! Many of those who are interviewed for the book have cried foul and said that Wolf misrepresented them and what they said about working for President Trump. Joining me now is Ron Webster, who has worked in the West Wing for the past nine months on the media team. Mr. Webster, does this book accurately represent the way things work in the White House? Not at all. The book would have you believe that we work in complete chaos 24-7 when we actually work in only mild to medium chaos 22-7. So does President Trump actually behave the way he is characterized in the book? This book has it all wrong. I'm sorry, but saying that the president doesn't read and that he's basically illiterate just isn't true. I saw him read the wrapper of his filet fish just the other day. He knew that it was his sandwich because he read the wrapper. Case closed. I mean, could it just be that he knows the color of the wrapper the filet fish comes in and he identified it that way? I suppose. But he definitely reads. I'm pretty sure he reads the instructions of his Just for Men's hair dye, too. How would he know how to apply it? Huh? But the book states that his daughter Ivanka says that he's so impatient that he doesn't leave the dye on long enough, so that's why his hair is that weird orange color. Oh, no. He leaves it on long enough. It's just the color he uses. Sunset piss. People are also quoted in the book saying that President Trump's closest advisors, including his family, don't trust that he knows what he's doing. What do you say to that? They don't think that. I mean, sure, I've heard people say a few things here and there like they don't think the president knows or cares about anything but himself, and that's just talk. But we'll all complain about our bosses. Just because Steve Bannon said that Trump is a danger to the nation no less than 12 times directly to Michael Wolff, on the record, doesn't mean anything. He was just blown off steam. People are going to say things about their boss. I say that Trump is the single worst leader in the history of mankind at least once a day, but it's no big deal. If Wolf wants to manipulate that into Trump not knowing what he's doing, he's going to be sued for libel. (laughs) What has the president's mood been like since this book came out? Frantic? No, no, erratic. No, that's wrong. What's the word for being a genius who is strong while being unpredictably delusional? I'm not sure there is one. Well, there should be, because that's what he is. We should invent that word. Tell you strong. Genusual. Everything's fine, though. Just another regular day in the White House. Uh Sounds like it. That was Ron Webster, who works in the West Wing. For COK News, I'm Cordell Nutbrock.
That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you want more from the best-looking news team in public radio, visit our website, considerourknowledge.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us for breaking news on Twitter, at ConsiderOurKnow. If you want to download the podcast, you can do it at iTunes or at Stitcher.com. The COK team includes Emily Clausen, Jeremiah Knight, Natalie Thorpe, Marianne Wetzel, Hobart Willis, and Spencer Cannon. Our intern is Ryan Shattuck. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley.